Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The O'Chelly Effect is sponsored by WallStreetWindow.com and listeners like you. And now, and now the most, the most underrated voice in all, in all media, Chuck O'Chelly. 28th day of December 2023, allegedly according to that thing called a calendar, and this is the Ocelli Effect. So, it is Thursday, Thursday, and that means, usually speaking, I have either Mike Swanson or Larry Hancock with me, and last week we had Larry on a Wednesday, which uh, was unusual, but we had to reschedule. This week we got Mike Swanson, the man behind WallStreetWindow.com, the author of The War State, as well as Why the Vietnam War, which is uh, kind of funny because I was looking at some historical films, actually, and okay. noticed that uh, Lyndon Johnson <laughs> was making this statement. I was wondering if this is where you got the uh, title from because Johnson was, you know, doing his thing defending the war at one point going, why Vietnam? Why Vietnam? And I'm thinking to myself, I might recut pieces of that into a uh, commercial for you. <laughs> I might do that. Uh, just to get people aware of that book. Plus, it is the uh, first in a series of what might be three books, right, Mike, uh, about the Vietnam War. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I'm getting ready to start uh, working on the next book, and <clears throat> I'm starting to conceive what it's going to really be about or, or how to organize it. Mm-hmm. And basically, I'm going to – the last book, the Why the Vietnam War book, and I think um, – what you're mentioning, uh, I didn't get the title from that, but there was a, do- a propaganda movie mm-hmm. that the government put out. Um, I think it's called Why Vietnam or something like that, uh, and it features Johnson saying that over and over again. Yeah, that's uh, exactly it. I, but what it is, I got uh, it's a National Archive set, um, and and somebody uh, uh, sold it to me really cheap months ago. Uh, okay, and it's like six or seven uh, uh, DVDs, but it has many of these propaganda films. Uh, some of them showing the, uh, the the Green Berets working with the villagers. Um, here are the uh, the Hmong people. Here are the uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and and they're talking about the the original thing where they were going in there and they were training these guys to resist the Viet Cong, etc. Right. Um, and they were doing these propaganda films where there's like, you know, a good government announcer going, and these people are here to make sure that they can defend themselves against the terrorism. Yeah, so communism. here's yeah. a comment. Uh, I found it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I didn't get the title from the book from, from this. I'll tell you how I got that in a second. But sure, sure. Uh, I saw this movie a long time ago. I've been interested in Vietnam since the war, since I was a, a teenager. You know, I probably watched this when I was 20 years old or something. But this was a documentary put out, you know, by the military. Mm-hmm. And it basically features LBJ throughout it. 
and asking that question over and over again. And basically, they're, the, the movie is making the argument that this is just a replay of Hitler all over again and you gotta stop him. And then Ho Chi Minh is like Hitler. Um, basically. Well, yeah, Ho Chi Minh it, is it, like Hitler and these people are terrorists. That's the other part of it. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which so, was like, wow. Um, no, and, and I, look, in our age group, Mike, let's be honest about something. In our age group, as teenagers, as young kids, a lot of us were actually fascinated by the war. Oh, um, yeah. You know, the movies about the war. Uh, th- there was actually a comic book made, right? Which was called. Yeah, Mom. I was getting that. Yeah. I bought it, uh, not getting it, but I buy it in the stores. But you know what I'm yeah. talking about? There Vietnam was, was the yeah. name of the comic book. It was just, but but um, what I'm saying is that Vietnam was just one of those things that was still being discussed even into the yeah. 80s and everything uh, in our generation because, as I've said many times, it was still kind of affecting us. Well, but, re- really, yeah. I, I I would guess that you know once I mean it seems I mean I. I, I can't remember what things were like when I was one years old, but you know, I think the country, let's say, at some point, probably before the war ended, probably seventy one, seventy two, probably as Watergate was breaking right afterwards, mm-hmm. kind of wanted to move on from the war and just forget about it, and did that for 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 a couple of years, and then a bunch of Hollywood movies came out, which is what we were consuming. And 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 and, and, I, and the platoon movie kind of may may have been the peak of all these Vietnam uh, movies and talk. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. But two there, or three years, you know, maybe two or three years following it. I there, should say. But there was an but, attempt to. But there was an attempt to reframe the entire thing. Like platoon was oh, an Oliver yeah. Stone movie. But I mean, there were the Chuck Norris movies, Missing in Action. Oh yeah. And then there was Rambo, which uh, the the first one was called First Blood. Um, you know, those movies caught fire popularity wise because there was this mentality of like, let's see if we can rehabilitate, um, the public's ideas about the war, right? And, and like I said, I think our generation was kind of generally fascinated with it because there we were, you know, again, initially affected by the war itself because our, our, our fathers, our grandfathers, our uncles, whatever went to the war. And then on top of it, Hollywood was pumping out a whole bunch of things. Look at it differently. You know, they're, they're actually going to go back. Like Chuck Norris is going and rescuing, um, you know, uh, prisoners, right? And, and we had gone through that time period in the late seventies and early eighties when there were people talking about, you know, there's still prisoners of war in Vietnam. They might still be alive. Uh, indeed, a guy named Ross Perot was involved in, uh, some of those search uh, efforts, right? I mean, there's a whole thing going on here. From the end of the 70s into the beginning of the 90s, uh, where, you know, again, where Ross Perot ends up running yeah, for president. It, it, but I'm just in, saying, in yeah. bringing this up, my, mm-hmm. my feeling, perception, sure. is that when we were teenagers and Vietnam was a big deal and all these movies and a lot of people our age interested in it, mm-hmm. I think that was the peak of the interest in war in our lifetime mm-hmm. um after Viet, after vietnam let's say uh in war and in, in in america being at war so the reason i say that is you know 911 happens and i don't think there's all these 911 movies or a lot of real interest uh in it like there was in vietnam no, it's not. Uh, I mean, it's continuous it's, wars, yeah. and we just take it for granted. And, and now there's a war in Israel, right. you know. 
Right. No, 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 no. Uh, it's, it's just not, like <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not the same kind of event, and that's the thing is that you know, again, when we were reaching adulthood, what were we confronted with? The first Desert Storm uh, deal and all that, which was over really quickly. Blink your eyes, and it's done. And the idea right there is the relief that came with, oh, my God, at least we're not getting into another Vietnam. Yeah, that's right. Because the lead up to that war, I mean, people came. Yeah. Sorry. Go go ahead. I I got a dog barking. I got to let out of the room. So uh, go ahead, though. Well, the the lead up to the the first Gulf War, you know, the six months before it started, there was a lot of worry that it would be like Vietnam in some ways. And it it wasn't. And then when the second war came you know if you doubted that a lot of people would call you a traitor while people were actually doubting the first one before Mm -hmm. it started but the second one after 9-11 you know if you were to even doubt that you were you know phil donahue doubted it he was taken off the air and then it did turn out to be that in afghanistan did turn out to be quagmires just like vietnam was in, in regards to trying to accomplish any meaningful objective but this uh, i'm looking up the this right. why vietnam thing uh this propaganda movie and i and you just if you just look at it it looks it's crude you know you, not many people like lyndon johnson right. <laughs> at all nowadays you know so hearing lyndon johnson say this why vietnam over and over again is it seems kind of silly but it was produced in 1965 Right. Uh, what, what I'm reading right here as we're speaking, and my understanding was that it was shown uh, in boot camps mm-hmm. uh, to soldiers. Um, and I, I'm looking, I found it on YouTube, and someone made a comment in the YouTube section that says, we were made to watch this lie in Army medic training at Fort Sam Houston right. uh, in 1970. The instructors will not accept any questions Many of us just laughed and smirked as it rolled. Now that's guys talking about 1970. By then, even, you know, a lot of people did not believe in the war, even when they're, you know, drafted and going over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, different than it was in 1965. Well, right. Uh, I mean, because back in out. yeah, so back in 65. See, a couple of things got to be you, you got to put it in context, right? Is 64 you have the you know post Kennedy assassination trauma. And now, you know, Johnson has risen to the presidency and he's taken over and he's the commander in chief and we all got to get behind him. Now, you could parallel that with, you know, the whole get behind Bush thing, right, where you where you have to be. If you're a true American, you got to get behind President Bush. Like you said, Donahue was punished. Other people were punished for. Oh, and I should say, you know, that what's his name? Uh, O'Reilly was. What's his, he's not on Fox anymore. Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. He was labeling anyone who doubted the war, going into the Iraq, second Iraq war, a traitor right. on his show. Right. You know, anyone who doubted in Bill O'Reilly's world was a traitor. Well, and that's the thing. And that's where he started that whole Patriots and Pinheads thing, right? And so you were a Pinhead if you were anti-American in any way. Uh, but you were a Patriot if you were pro-American. And that's the thing is that divining line really got stark. During the look, we were attacked, right? So, you know, in the uh, in the war on terror, this is the deal that you're either with us or you're with the terrorists, as Bush said. And that's all there was to it. Even Bill Maher, uh, I think. <laughs> oh, sure. He was one of show. them, too. I yeah. mean, it was most of the ones on TV were like that. I mean, comedians were getting – I think people forgot this. Comedians were getting protested and run out of comedy clubs if they made jokes about it. 
if they, you know, picked on Bush. There was a, a, a cartoon, as a matter of fact, run by a Comedy Central called Little Bush, I think. And little Bush was, you know, making fun of the president and his cabinet. It was like as if they were all like big headed peanuts character toddlers and they were all goofballs. But, you know, politically the same as they were in their adult lives, uh, you know, running around being raised by, uh, you know, George H.W. Bush and Barbara, of course. Right. Um, and, you know, they took that off the air. They took away anything that was a criticism of Bush off of just about everything. Because you couldn't criticize the president. You couldn't say something that criticized America. You couldn't question the motives at all because we were at war with terrorism itself. And that's the odd thing. Like I say, another parallel with this Vietnam thing is that I heard through these propaganda films. And as that guy said in 1970, they were probably still showing them. But they were producing tons of these things, mainly to show to the to the guys that were you know going to boot camp and stuff like that. Get them ready. Get them interested in the job. Get them psyched and set up to go win. What was it called? Hearts and minds, right? Where they were supposed to go there and be the, uh, you know, the tactical trainers and all this stuff. And then they start escalating to bringing in more troops. And, you know, by 1970, you have protests fully erupted. You have the problem, the pushback in 68, you know, where uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy literally is using that as the wedge to, uh, pretty much run LBJ right out of the presidential race. I mean, it's an important pivotal thing, but what's fascinating is uh, we, we, we don't have a, a difference after, you know, like in other words, the war on terror was motivated by something that actually happened to us. This was a theoretical thing where it was like, if we don't stop the communists, if we don't stop the communist terrorists. Yeah. You know, yeah. in fact, I think about the, the thing, the, the, this show, you know, we did a long thing a couple of years ago. It came out in 2017, time goes by, yeah. about that Ken Burns series, which is really endless. And, right. and, um, I, I would suggest that people don't watch the Ken Burns thing and watch this. It's yeah. 30 minutes. Watch this. Why Vietnam? You can find it on YouTube. Watch this. Watch the Robert McNamara thing, The Fog of War. The Fog of War, yep. Mm-hmm. And then watch Hearts of Mind, Hearts of Minds, which was made in 1974. It's an anti-war film. Just watch those three things, and they're all, you know, worthwhile. You know, the latter two are either won Academy Awards, both of them, or, or, or lots of awards. Um, well, this will it, this will you know, educate you. Ken Burns is awful, awful, right. absolutely awful. This will edu- The only thing that was good about Ken Burns is that you know in in rare form uh they did show the vietnamese side of it a bit that's the only thing good about the ken burns film outside of that no if you go with those three suggestions that you just said you would get a much clearer picture in different time periods of exactly how it was being handled how it was being sold to the public how the public was reacting to it uh stage by stage right because you have the the initial rah-rah, look, we need to fight the communists, uh, stop the dominoes from falling, uh, you know, propaganda to begin with. Then you have, you know, McNamara and his reflections on it. And then you have the anti-war sentimentality, which seems, I mean, I, look, again, I, you and I were small children at the tail end of that. Uh, you know, not even uh, not even really cognizant of the whole world around us yet. Um, it seems to me as though the majority of the American public turned against it. 
And then it finally ended, right? Gerald Ford finally pulled this out, even though Nixon kept promising it from 68 on. Okay. So all these things go on, and it was a political wedge. But again, it's not comparable to what happened with, with the war on terror because, in a literal sense, we had more of a obvious motivation. You know, it wasn't theoretical. It wasn't just about battling communists. It wasn't, well, we're just going to go battle the Islamo-fascists over there so they don't spread. This was, no, we were attacked. So it was a different motivation. And in all honesty, another thing that changes it is you don't have the same body count, Mike. I mean, we're in Afghanistan longer, but, I mean, the losses are, I'm not saying they're not significant. Every loss is significant. But what I am saying is that if you lose, you know, 7,000, 8,000 people over the course of two decades, yeah. it is not comparable to one decade and 60,000. You know what I'm saying? It's just not comparable. And even if you go back oh, sure. and you and you get realistic about it and you say, look, we had special forces and stuff over there from the end of World War II, which we did. Um, still, you don't have the same type of body count. You, if you stretch it out, it's not the same kind of body count. It's not the same kind of impact uh, numerically well, are on being drafted. <laughs> and nobody's being drafted. Right. So this is a volunteer army with a lower body count. And some people would say, see, it's not as big of a deal. But again, it's us involved in an endless war that what did we actually accomplish at the end of the day? And I would dare say we accomplished less in Afghanistan than we did in Vietnam, because at least Vietnam had been changed. Afghanistan, the Taliban just waited around to come back into office. <laughs> I mean, what, you know, anyway. Uh, and, and then people could talk about the disastrous, uh, you know, withdrawals, and neither one of them was pretty. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Got to give it that, you know, no matter how you look at it. But anyway, I didn't want to delve into this too much. I just wanted to mention, though, that uh, that I'd caught, I caught. I, I probably have seen that propaganda film before. But since I'm familiar with the title of your book, I was like, I wonder if that's actually where he got it from. So you said you were going to tell us where you actually got the title of the book from. So why don't you tell us that? And then we'll uh, move on to your uh, presentation in Dallas and some other uh, news on that. Well, um, I didn't I didn't have a title for the book when I started writing it. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point where uh, I, I didn't feel uh, confident. I was worried it was getting too long. Mm -hmm. Like my initial plan was to write. It starts 1945 and it's about Vietnam. And I was going to write it up to 1963 when Kennedy gets killed. But I got up to the point where he puts the advisors in 
and I didn't feel confident that I could, I was worried that, you know, I'm doing all these quotes and meeting after meeting after meeting Mm -hmm. that it would uh, get to a point where it might bore people. um, And I just stopped writing. And then, um, and I didn't have a title. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I was out somewhere and I overheard, like I was at a buffet type restaurant. And I overheard um, an older man talking to a young, a young, young person and the older man had served in Vietnam mm-hmm. and the young guy asked him, why did the war happen? And that's where I got that. Oh, that, that, why did the war happen? That, that'll, that'll, that'll just frame the book around that. Right. Uh, it's a good title, you know? Right. Uh, so are, are you going to take this entirely chronologically through the different volumes? Cause that means that if you're taking it up to uh 62 or so, then that means you almost have to begin with the assassination and a few things previous to the assassination in the next volume. So, I mean, you're going to open with the Kennedy assassination, basically, in the next book? Well, that doesn't happen to 63. Yeah. But, I mean, you're going to open in 62 if you're going to continue on, and then it won't be too long before we get to the assassination. Well, before, I'm, right? I'm, 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 I'm thinking about the book will really be almost about the assassination really okay. but i'm going to write i'm thinking about writing about vietnam cuba and the arms uh victor arms race so that means you're going to write about cuba the the missile crisis um in vietnam vietnam i yeah. mean you're going to you're going to also include laos and the uh you know the no no i i pretty much did laos in the in the in this book okay well what about the what about blast- your- what about Germany and the the beginning of the Pro- wall? Probably, I'm not going to get too much into it. Well, you might need to the, mention it though. I mean, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I already wrote about it though in the first book. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I was yeah. just thinking. You know, the beginning of the Brandenb- the wall around the Brandenburg Gate yeah. and all that is a point of context though. So you know, as you go along chronologically, I guess yeah, you could just write it all about the assassination and then probably about the transition in policy. That occurs there because that's, I mean, that's a huge issue. Um, is so, I mean, that, that's, that's probably what you'll focus on is by the time we end that book, we'll probably be into the Johnson administration and how things changed, right? Something like that. I mean, is well, that's, that generally that's what I'm thinking. The, if I, if I, that's what the third book would be about is when Johnson comes in. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Look, I'm not telling you how to write it. I'm just asking. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know? But, uh, okay, well, you know, that I'm looking forward to it, and I definitely want to see where you go with it because uh, I know that this is a uh, obviously a particular personal interest to you, the Kennedy assassination in and of itself. Um, you know, and to me it's very, uh, very interesting, and, and the change in policy is extremely notable because I feel as though if the assassination doesn't occur, we don't have the next decade to talk about in Vietnam. Uh, because, you know, obviously, uh, National Security Action Memorandum 263 and so on, plus other things that have now been revealed that look to me more and more like there's no doubt we would not have been engaged in Vietnam all the way up to 1976. Uh, you know, so there you go. It's going to have to be uh, discussed at length. Well, let me, let me, I wish I could quote this to you exactly, but... Um... So there's this, this is a little, sounds like a tangent, but, mm-hmm. um, there's a bad Star Trek episode, the original series called Assignment Earth. Mm-hmm. And somehow, uh, do you remember that episode? Yes, I do. 
Okay. Well, the episode's about it's. Um, I, I watched it today. Uh, rewatched it, I guess, because I, I saw someone mention it and a couple quotes from it. So well, I got to watch that. And it's the episode I've watched the least because that all um, I've like I, I dislike it the most because what it, it was Star Trek was three seasons. Mm-hmm. This was the last episode in the second season, and Gene Roddenberry, the producer was doubtful that Star Trek was going to have a third season. So he made this last episode as a backdoor pilot for a potential other show, which never aired. Yeah, that's so, when he introduced a character named Gary Seven. Yeah. And yeah. the next TV show was going to spin off a of Star Trek sort of where there's this guy who is like a secret agent of sorts in uh, on Earth around, you know, what would have been modern times there in the mid-60s. And Gary Seven was the guy that they encountered during Assignment Earth. Um, there's also a a woman on there. I, I can't remember who it was, but I think she's a pretty significant cast member. Uh, like like it's her first te- Terry Gar. That's who it was. That's Terry right. Gar's first appearance for like TV and everything. It's like her introduction into a career, uh, which is crazy. And she doesn't even she doesn't even want to mention it when they ask her about it in interviews and stuff. Um, she pretty much wants to skip over her appearance in Gary Seven in the Gary Seven uh, Star Trek episode, you know, Assignment Earth, because uh, I think she feels as though she was just put on there to wear a miniskirt and look good. Um, but uh, it is it is an interesting, interesting uh, Star Trek. You know, Star Trek went to Earth quite a few times, uh, probably for budgetary reasons. In the '60s, okay, I don't know if people realize this, but uh, that's the truth of it. Is that uh, they they could you know they wouldn't have to build brand new sets or anything. They might be able to use modern day things and modern day sets and people dressed in modern day clothing in the '60s a lot easier, you know, or or at least in the 20th century. Uh, like at one point they go to a very Earth-like planet that's uh, in a different episode where it's uh, uh, all run by Nazis now because uh, one of the guys who went there decided that it was a good way to organize things. And uh, they end up on another very Earth-like planet uh, one time where it's run by gangsters. Um, it's called uh, That one's called A Piece of the Action. I, I remember that one because it's kind of comical, uh, where they're trying to be like, you know, I don't know, like 1930s, like uh, like uh, uh, Al Capone-era gangsters, like, right? <laughs> like Chicago-type Al Capone gangsters from the 30s and um, and from the movies in the 40s and stuff like that. But uh, but but please continue on about assignment Earth that you rewatched uh, again today. Well, I'm, I'm just going off on a, a, a tangent. But the, 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 the reason it's related, though, is that the ep- I mean it's a terrible episode, but the Enterprise goes to goes back in time to 1968 mm-hmm. to observe, and what ends up happening is the characters that we know on Star Trek right. do. You know, they're just staying around basically, and these new characters, this Gary Seven and this the girl that you talked about, are doing all the action in the show, and they're, you know, it's it's, it's just a bad episode. But um, the story is that this Gary Seven guy is going to Earth mm-hmm. too because there's going to be a new uh, nuclear platform that the United States is launching mm-hmm. into space and if it 
accomplishes that mission, it's going to escalate the arms race and become dangerous. It's going to be an orbital nuclear warhead platform. Right. And he goes there to sabotage it. And in the first segment of the show, uh, Spock makes the comment that, you know, once the, the Enterprise arrives at this period of time in 1968 and the episode airs, and this is important, uh, on the 28th, 29th of March, 1968 is the air date. Mm-hmm. And Spock makes the comment, um, this is the quote I'm going to dig up for you. Uh, there will be an important assassination today, an equally dangerous government coup in Asia, and this could be highly critical, the launching of an orbital nuclear platform in the United States, mm-hmm. countering a similar launch by other powers. Well, Within seven days of the airing of this episode, Martin Luther King is assassinated. Right, right. <laughs> so the thing about it is, you know, the, the 1960s, uh, you, obviously they didn't know King was going to be killed when they made this episode and RFK after that. Mm-hmm. But nuclear war and the assassinations and a government coup in Asia – was part of a Star Trek episode. And the irony to me of of of, of that sentence, there will be an important assassination day in equally, in equally dangerous government coup in Asia. Well, what no one talks about is that the day after Kennedy was killed, there was a coup in Asia in North Vietnam. And Ho Chi Minh was essentially sidelined, turned into a puppet, and General Giap was pretty much stripped of his power for that for at the time too. Mm-hmm. So new leadership took over the day after the Kenny assassination, mm. and that leadership, uh, the way they the reason they took over was they said that Ho Chi Minh that that propaganda movie that you spoke about earlier was saying was Hitler that, that new leadership took over, be, uh, led by Le Duan, um, who's a figure in that um, Ken Burns documentary. Mm-hmm. We didn't know about him back then apparently, in the 60s, but he took over on the basis that um, the United States was about to escalate and we need them, they need to escalate first and Ho Chi Minh and Giap had been resistant mm-hmm. to escalating in South Vietnam uh, for 10 years. And so they were sidelined. They made immediate declaration in the part pull-up bureau there to escalate, and they ordered sending down the 1st Regiment of uh, NVA regular troops. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a historical fact. When Americans, um, it's just human nature, you know, we think of all the events in Vietnam, in Vietnam mm-hmm. as being driven by the decisions in Washington. But before Johnson escalates, right? They made they made this. Well, or, or may put it this way: if if you think NSM, um, the after two six three was it two seven seven? Two seven three is the one. Two seven three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you think that two seven three is a turning point in Vietnam. So it, it, it's happening at the same exact time 
as the decision in North Vietnam. So both sides mm-hmm. are escalating the day after Kane's kill. Now, the thing about the North Vietnamese, according to Gia, they believed that Kennedy was going to withdraw. So, uh, you know, I haven't seen it written out anywhere like this, but my belief from this, this sequence of events and Gap's statement that made repeatedly that they believe that Kennedy was going to withdraw from Vietnam. My interpretation of this, these sequence of events is that they interpret the assassination as in the end of the withdrawal program or an escalation on our part. So that, that helped this coup to happen. That's, that's what I, that's what I believe in. I mean, it's not, in writing anywhere, but that's what I'm inferring from the sequence of that. Now, that said, the presentation I gave and I'm, um, um, was really, you know, the book I wrote, mm-hmm. um, that's the only presentation I've given about it right. because when I write these things, I don't, I want, uh, my hope is that the facts will just speak for themselves and, the interpretations I may have, uh, people will read the facts and just come to them or understand them. I, I'm, I'm, I feel real hesitant, uh, to just spit out a bunch of interpretations right. that are new. Um, well, you'd I'd rather, rather lay out the facts and let the reader come to the conclusion yeah, themselves. But, yeah. I understand that. And that's a great thing about your style. It's not aggressive. Um, what's really interesting here to me is that there is a lot that went on here regarding Vietnam where there's a whole lot of misconception. It is not just driven by Washington's actions. You're exactly right. Uh, but what it is driven by, however, is a lot of the propaganda. Like, look, our militaries and our intelligence agencies take actions quite often, sometimes based on things that are exaggerated, amped up, you know. The missile gap in and of itself, problem. It wasn't a real gap. <laughs> you know, that why, why did why did we participate? Oh, yeah. Why did we do MK Ultra, Mike? Well, it was because the justification was what? The Soviets are already doing it. See, you know, and then we've come to find out they actually weren't just yet <laughs> doing the kind of stuff that we wound up doing. It's very weird. You see actions being taken like, okay, Ho Chi Minh believes in Kennedy's withdrawal. These guys turn around and knock him out of there because he's not being aggressive enough because they don't believe for a second that Kennedy's going to withdraw because of some of the public statements he's making. You see what I'm saying? Propaganda and communication, you know, uh, politically, the stuff that's above board, the stuff that's under the table, all of these things are relevant. And they can have effects whether we know it or not. See, the thing is, nobody would have tried to take out Ho Chi Minh or, uh, or, or the generals that were running things if they thought that Kennedy was getting ready to withdraw. If, if that was made absolutely clear and that's all there was to it, there'd be no reason to try and take Ho Chi Minh out. It meant he was winning. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
You know what I'm saying? Like a bunch of things would not have happened if, uh, you know, like the, the, the crazy thing that people bring up about, uh, you know, Reagan with Star Wars, right? Some people would say that Reagan basically bankrupted the Soviets by them trying to participate in an arms race because of Star Wars, because of the escalation of the arms race. It broke them financially, and this led them to be vulnerable. Now, I'm not saying I absolutely agree with that, but what I am saying is that it is a strategy to outlast your opponent with some propaganda, with the idea that they need to step up and compete with something, whether it is a real threat or an imagined one. I mean, I even think back to that thing in World War II when those people had those inflatable tanks that they right, blew right, up and right. they put out. You know, like if you just imagine there's an army there and you could present it to people, look, there's going to be a huge army that's going to roll through here. You, what what do you do? You create reactions. Real world reactions might occur from the propaganda, from disinformation, from some of these psychological warfare operations, etc. It is not always a cut and dry thing. So, again, with the Vietnam situation, indeed, if it had been clearly signaled that Kennedy was going to back out and there was no contradiction, because you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there was only days before the assassination. He's making statements that make it sound like I'm not pulling out of there in any way, shape or form. And meanwhile, he's having these guys write reports that basically justify him pulling out. Right. I mean, but nobody saw that in public. So what do you have? The reaction of the North Vietnamese people where they're saying, look, our guys are not being aggressive enough unless I'm misreading this because they don't think that the United States is going to step out. As a matter of fact, they figure that it's going to escalate. And there are a bunch of missed opportunities here and a bunch of misleading that goes on where, you know, either we're, we're feigning to the peace process or we're feigning to escalate the war, which create real world reactions. Um, and this happens in every conflict when you're playing this game. This is why it's so important in the nuance of this communication, the stuff that's above boards, the stuff that's, you know, the back channels, every channel of communication has its purpose in this activity, you know, in the conflicts that occur between nations. And this is uh, one of the more interesting aspects of it. So, and that Gary Seven thing, I'll tell you, just, just to point to how ridiculous it was, though, what, I, I remember there was a cat in the episode since you just watched it, Mike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you something, because I, I, I have not watched this episode probably in 10, 15 years. But I do remember that the cat had like a special collar on. Was the cat the boss of Gary Seven or was he like a another agent? Was was the cat another agent? I, I can't remember what the deal was with the cat in the Star Trek thing, which was wholly ridiculous and silly. Meant to be a Cold War. And, and this is the excuse that they would make about it, by the way, is that it was a commentary on the Cold War. And how dangerous decisions and escalations and arms races could lead to bigger problems later on. And indeed, those things are true. Uh, sometimes they lead to solutions and sometimes they lead to other situations that are going to require more solutions, depending on what it is you're doing. And what it is you signal as opposed to what it is you're doing is also important. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, it is pretty weird that the assassination of King occurs a couple of days after this thing airs. Um, which, by the way, I've read in a couple of different places that Martin Luther King Jr. was actually a Star Trek fan. Uh, you know, he might have watched it quite a few times, not just because he liked Nichelle Nichols, although Nichelle Nichols tells a story about meeting him. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, look, all I'm saying is that there is a lot to be explored and examined here. 
and uh, I look forward to you doing it. So what, what else What else could we glean from all of this in your mind, and uh, what else do you want to say about the presentation in Dallas before I run you out of time here? You, you asked me something about the cat. Oh, yeah, uh, the cat. I was wondering, <laughs> what, what was the deal with that cat? Was the cat like the boss agent or was it no, a legal no, agent? It, it, it's never explained. Uh, I mean, I just watched this today. And the cat, it's just, the, so the guy walks around with this cat, mm-hmm. and several times the cat will, you know, he has to deal with some guards, and the cat will distract the guards so he can disable the guards. It does think, the cat does stuff like that. It's like it's like a super intelligent cat, and it's some yeah, kind it's of agent, right? Yeah, super intelligent. And then and the, <laughs> at, the end, at the very end of the show, <laughs> yes. almost, you know, towards the end, there's one brief scene where... The cat is sitting on a sofa, and it turns into a woman. And one per the the girl that you talked about uh, sees it and gets mad, and then asks Gary Seven, "Who is that?" And then they look back, and the it's turned back into a cat. But there's no explanation for what's going on, and he just says, "That's my cat." Yeah, there's, so, there's I, I mean, it's just. Uh, <laughs> uh, who know? Who knows? It's just kind of hokey. I, I, I wonder if it inspired. Remember, uh, like in the maybe it was the seventies or eighties. I can't remember what year it was. There was suddenly a movie called The Cat from Outer Space. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I wonder if that inspired it. Because, it might have. It might have. So, I, so there's a good reason why I can't remember what the deal was with that damn cat, right? Because there was something weird. It had a special collar, and it was super intelligent. It was like part of the team of of special agents in a weird yeah. way, right? Okay. Uh, no, I just wanted to see. Cause but like but I it's said, not explained. It's not really explained. Right. I haven't watched it in like 15 years. So yeah. Well, then, I mean, yeah. I'm telling you, it's the episode I probably have watched <laughs> the very least. You know. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That, that Nazi episode is pretty weird, uh, you know, too. But like I said, a bunch of times they went to Earth, right? Yeah. There was another time where they ended up capturing an astronaut, I think. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, and that's like an astronaut in like 1960. I mean, this is before the moonshot and everything, you know, remember, because yeah. that's 69. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, they, they, they suddenly have, you know, one of these test pilots they grab up somehow, and then they, they decide they have to return him to Earth because uh, not, not for him, but because his child is going to be part of the first space station that goes out or something like that, right? Um. It's it's all kinds of weird stuff goes on with Star Trek, but a lot of times they went to an Earth or an Earth-like planet. Simply, basically, they they wrote episodes like that to cut down on the budget. I mean, that's the truth of it because Desi Lu didn't want to invest uh, as much money as. But I I didn't could. really realize till today because I went to I read some articles about this episode right. that this really was deliberately the phrase is backdoor pilot and they made it the last episode of the second season mm-hmm. thinking that star trek wouldn't be renewed right uh, so i i didn't i didn't really real you know realize that part of it yeah well they had moved it in its time slot they put it in a bad time slot for for its demographic uh you know and all kinds of weird things happened and they thought it was going yeah this was supposed to be like a oh now we got another tv show it spins right off of star trek um yeah that's what it was. I, I knew that for many years. You just found that out, though, huh? Well, I, I didn't. I didn't really think about that. I knew it was a pilot, but I didn't. I didn't really realize. Oh, Gene, I didn't know it was Gene Roddenberry kind of whole idea to make this other show and 
it was yeah. that's why it was the last episode of the second season. I didn't know that part. Yeah, well, you know, and long before they did uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, they tried a reboot. They were going to call it Star Trek Phase Two, uh, which was uh, a whole other thing that they were trying to pull together in the seventies. And they ended right. up because of the success of the Star Wars movies, they ended up making Star Trek: The Motion Picture instead, and uh, borrowed a bunch of elements out of Phase Two. They canceled that TV show to create the movies. Because they were just going to take it into the movie universe, basically, of Star Trek. And then uh, in the 80s, then they, then they, you know, came up with the next generation. But, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting, interesting piece of media history, Star Trek is, altogether. Um, but there's tons of commentary throughout Star Trek about the Cold War. Uh, some people would say about Vietnam directly. Um, clearly they, they had, you know, a commentary about World War II, uh, via the Nazi theme in that one, uh, episode, uh, which, you know, I, I always find that remarkable because there's something where if you search online, you can find, you know, Leonard Nimoy in a, uh, in an SS uniform, I think. And, uh, you know, and they actually got a McCoy in a, uh, in a Nazi doctor uniform, like he's a Nazi doctor officer, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just pretty wild. Um, I think at one point they say something like, uh, oh, no, no, no. Then there's that other one uh, uh, previous to that where, where uh, what is it, the woman that ends up getting run over by the car, she becomes part of the peace movement if they save her life, which screws things up, you know. Um, there's a whole bunch of things where, like, you know, peace, it's like the right idea, but at the wrong time. Remember, it prevents World mm -hmm. War II, but then it leads to, you know, nuclear annihilation or whatever. So they kind of have to <laughs> – let her die, even though, you know, Kirk is, again, falling in love with some woman in the past or whatever. All kinds of weird stuff happens um, during Star Trek. But they send them to Earth generally just to save money. But uh, but the commentaries are there. You know, the anti-war and anti-Vietnam and uh, anti-Cold War commentaries are intact throughout the uh, the early part of the TV show, for sure. Anyhow, back to the, uh, you know, the presentation, though, that you did. Um because I still have not watched the whole thing, and I was there for part of it, but, you know, I was getting run around doing other things. Um, other people came up to you, though, and, I mean, what was the thing that stood out to them that, uh, you know, that was most remarkable that you presented there? Because usually you don't do stuff like this, um, and it is relevant. It did have to do – I know you had both uh, the, the war state and uh, why the Vietnam, and you know, war in your hand at the time, and you were going to get to uh, – quoting out of the book, but I think you ran out of time because your hour just sort of flew by. Um, but uh, what, what do you think was the it was the key highlight there that people like uh, most most wanted to talk to you about afterwards? Uh, I'm not I'm not I don't I'm not really sure if there's one specific thing, but um, what I was doing was making the argument that um well I put it to you this way when I when I wrote it mm -hmm. um I started to see some things differently interpreted things differently than I had before came to a, a, a different understanding and put that in the book and um and explained that um in the, in the talk so for example the Cuban missile crisis mm -hmm. um you know, the first book I wrote in, 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 in uh, the war state, yeah. um, I showed there's a memo, and I've talked about this at the presentation, 
that uh, they knew the Joint Chiefs of Staff Kennedy, they knew that there there's mobile missile launchers in Cuba on, on trucks uh, that could fire short-range nuclear missiles, mm. like a 12-mile range, not the intercontinental ones that could reach D.C. or New York, right. but the short-range ones on a truck. And Kennedy had a, a meeting about it. It's on tape yeah. where they the YouTube people or uh, – Photo, CIA photo people, you know, they got easels of the, of the stuff. They show them to him, and he talks to John McCone about it. And, and they basically, and McCone basically tells him, the CIA director, that they, you know, that they can't assure destroying all these things in an airstrike because they're on their trucks. They can hide them in the woods. Um, and when Kennedy uh, resolves the crisis with Khrushchev, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they still want to invade Cuba, and Kennedy gets McNamara to ask them how many casualties would there be in an invasion, and um, they say in the memo that something like 20,000 people, if, there's, if we have an invasion force the size of Normandy, uh, but more... If the Cubans or Soviets use one of these short-range nuclear missiles, and they, there's evidence of at least one of them on on the island, right. and you know I show this memo, and to me, you know, th- th- this is a shocking memo when I first saw it, and no one has, you know, th- disputed this um, well, it, or well, even made a big deal about it. Well, here's, because, a, here's a question about that though, because. You know, in in only the past uh, a decade or so did we learn that there were local commanders that could have utilized those things in a uh, in in the battlefield, that they could have actually launched those those uh, you know the battlefield nukes, right? Um, and that was something that was supposed to be a new revolu- revelation. Um, did they know it at the time? Is my question. I mean, if they knew that maybe there were some of these mobile short range things and things that could be used like right there, uh, in order to prevent the invasion, did they know that the uh, that the local commanders had the ability to launch them or not? I don't think they did. Um, but have you found evidence to the contrary? Oh, no, I, I don't I don't think they knew that. Uh, just the fact that they existed, though, is... <laughs> it's still news. Yeah, no, no, I get no, it. It's new because that's not what we were... That's not the story that we've been told for a long time. No, what and we were told, just, yeah, is that the major concern... It's not the story that Robert McNamara tells, that right. fog of war thing, for example. Well, did he and, know? That's the... Did he... Was he in on that memo? Did he know about it? Was Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he, he wrote the question to get the memo, and you know, this this was talked about. Ah, okay. Uh, so, I mean, he knew words, all about it, but... Well, but the problem is, you know, I we don't know when he does that that fog of war thing. Is he cover? Is he deliberately uh, forgetting this information uh, in in order to create this narrative that? But he says we didn't know how close we were to nuclear war, uh, and it was just luck that it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And in that, once he found out this information years later, uh, he was shocked. Well, I'm saying 
he knew mm-hmm. then. And, but I, but that doesn't mean he could have remembered things wrong and is not lying when well, he does that. And here's the other thing is yeah. if that remained classified, right? I mean, is it possible that he was still just protecting classified information at that point when he did that movie? Because oh, that's, that's a good, that's a good point. You know, cause that's still early on and maybe that yeah, was that, still, that's a good point. you know, only right. on a need to know basis even back then. Uh, because that might have made the narrative a whole lot different, right? Because you have the heroic narrative of Kennedy prevented. We had missiles pointed at us, at the public, right? They could have easily hit Florida. They could have easily hit the East Coast. They could have easily all that. And it would kind of disturb the narrative if it's like, no, we also knew they had battlefield nukes ready. You know, maybe maybe, uh, that was just not supposed to be shared with the public at all. Maybe that was still highly classified at the time. I don't know. I, I'm I'm just speculating about the possibilities here. I'm not saying that McNamara wouldn't have lied. I'm not saying the government wouldn't have lied. <laughs> uh, but I, what I am saying is that there are certain times where they might be withholding information for different reasons. Um, and, you know, people have always said that that's almost like a confession that he gives in the fog of war and all this other stuff. But I don't see it that way. I, I, I see it as, and, and much like I saw him in, uh, it was either 2000 or 2001 at NYU. He did a presentation. And uh, even then when he was talking about this kind of stuff, I got to say that I feel as though he always had very strict control about the information he was willing to share and not willing to share and wanted to make sure that he always drew uh, the right narrative out of every circumstance that involved him for sure. But also, I think he was protective of the Kennedy administration, the Kennedy mystique as well. Um, and that's the impression I got from seeing the guy in person. Um, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on McNamara, but I mean, people have had various thoughts about him because after all, he is essentially one of the architects of the Vietnam War. But then again, was he a reluctant architect? Was he, you know, a fully uh, willing accomplice? Is he somebody who, you know, in all in all honesty was out there, you know, trying to do what he thought was absolutely the right thing or not? Or was he just being pulled along by other interests? I leave that to somebody else's judgment. I don't know. But uh, but there's something to be said about that. And McNamara is definitely a key player, obviously. I mean, Secretary of Defense. Um, but anyway, what, what, let's uh, tie a bow on this so I can get you out of here on time. And, uh, you know, I do urge you guys to go ahead and read, the first of all, the, this volume that uh, Mike is talking about, Why the Vietnam War, but also The War State. And I'm looking forward to Volume 2, which uh, Mike has told us tonight, you know, we'll start before the assassination, but probably be a lot about the assassination of John F. Kennedy and uh, and, and how that proceeds and what that uh, what is happening during that time period which will be most interesting given uh, what we discussed tonight and God knows what else you'll unearth in the course of uh, researching and uh, assembling that book. Right, Mike? Well, I mean, I'll share some of the information as we do these, do these shows, but um, um, yeah, I've got, I've got a book for future shows sitting right here in front of me. It's called strategic air warfare. All right. Mm -hmm. And his interviews with, General LeMay. Nice. And in it, he's there's a whole section on the Cuban Missile Crisis, mm. and he's got a whole different narrative than uh, the McNamara narrative or any one that you've heard before. I bet you LeMay sees it differently. I mean, <laughs> here's the guy. <laughs> 
you know, and it's it's worth uh, breaking down. Uh, I got you in there. Does he discuss book. the firebombing of Dresden and uh, and and uh, Berlin? I guess, and then the firebombings that they did in Japan. Does he discuss all that? Well, too? yeah. Well, here's an interesting thing he says. So, I mean, this is covering. It's a group of it's a group of generals, Air Force generals, like three of them, and he's one of them. Mm-hmm. Interviews done in the like in the early '80s, and uh, he talks about the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And and says, let me get, let me tell you this. It's just something else. Um, that they wanted to do strategic bombing in Korea, like they did in Japan, mm. um, and they weren't allowed to because the strategic targets were all in China, mm-hmm. and instead they're forced to just. Um, do uh, 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 what's the word for it? Um, uh, interdiction bombing. Okay. To which is what a lot of the bombing Vietnam was bombing the Ho Chi Minh Trail, mm-hmm. bombing the forces as, as they come into South Vietnam. That's what he says. We were his strategic air command. The air force was forced to do in Korea where. When he wanted to bomb the strategic targets mm-hmm. that were in in China, uh, but uh, he says this is something uh, we went and fought. This is what he says: we went over there and fought the war, and eventually burned down every town in North Korea, mm-hmm. some way or another, and some in South Korea too. We even burned we burned down Pusan in accident, but we burned it down anyway. The Marines started a battle down there with no enemy in sight. Over a period of three years or so, we killed off, what, 20% of the population of Korea as direct casualties of war. Mm. Over a period of three years, that seemed to be acceptable to everybody. But to kill a few people at the start right away, the way I wanted to, with my strategic bombing, no, we can't seem to stomach that. Yeah, see, that's the thing about him is that he argues that, look, if I murder a few people right away, it'll be a lot cleaner than what we're going to have to do if we stick around. And here's the thing. Numerically, he might not be wrong, uh, even though some of those things, I mean, it was savage what was done to Dresden. It was savage what was done uh, in Japan. Um, Absolutely brutal, you know, lighting the air on fire, basically, uh, over a major city. But did it in the end actually do a lot more good than even using the new, you know, the atomic weapons? Probably, you know, is it strategically more sound, even though it is difficult to stomach what it is they were talking about doing? I don't know. You know, uh, again, I'm not the, the grand strategist that, uh, that he was supposed to be. So it's an interesting thing to break down and take a look at and historically examine. So I guess we'll get to that in future shows. Let me give you one little more tidbit. Sure. Go ahead. So, because it's, it's, I mean, there's so much in here. Uh, uh, it's worth going through a lot of it. But, um, so he says when they're bombing Japan, that one of his generals calculated that they were just going to wipe out the whole country and Japan was going to surrender. That they, before the atomic bomb was dropped, they, they were calculating that their own bombing was going to, collapse the entire country and it probably wouldn't be necessary to invade them. Right. Um, and he says that 
he went to Washington. I'm not sure what the date is here. Uh, June 19, 1945. Here it is. Yeah. Um, to tell him this. And he says, we briefed the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Mm-hmm. We did not get a very good reception. As a matter of fact, General Marshall slept through the briefing. Huh. I can't blame him. He was probably wore down to a rub. The decision was made to invade. Here I was coming and saying the war could be ended without invasion. Mm. We, we didn't make much of an in, imprint, so we went back to the Marianas and kept bombing. Right. Well, you know, but but there you go. Look, and this is the way things function sometimes. Uh, is it possible if they were already locked in and had a decision made, uh, his alternative, uh, you know, theory about how to win, maybe nobody nobody was going to listen to it because they had already had that debate. You know, that debate yeah, was already over. It's just bad timing on his part. Yeah. Um, yeah but there's so. something to be said about all that. And, you know, again, uh, LeMay is an interesting character. And I would say that, uh, you know. As much as he could easily be brought up on war crimes uh, over and over again, uh, he may have also been one of the better strategists uh, that we had when it came to air campaigns. So, I mean, little column A, little column B, war is an ugly thing, isn't it? But uh, anyway, we'll get into that in future episodes. And I want people to go, oh, we didn't even talk about, you know, what's going on with WallStreetWindow.com and what you're doing over there. But you sent out an email recently. Uh, over the Christmas holiday to kind of give people a heads up. Why don't you tell them about that, and then we'll uh, close this one out. But I urge you guys to go to WallStreetWindow.com, check out Why the Vietnam War and also The War State. Both books do I recommend, authored by Mike Swanson. But, Mike, just tell them on your way out the door what it is you're doing with Wall Street Window and what it is uh, you're, you're going to be doing in the very near future with uh, with maybe some other websites and things. Well, with the Wall Street Window, just make it real simple. I'm making it like a weekly newsletter instead of putting it out every single day and mm-hmm. you know people can get it um it's just i'm making it a little better organized too the emails that you get so a little you know it's cleaner looking and uh and it'll probably go out every sunday sunday okay. morning yeah it does look better it's a weekly it's going to be a weekly email you were doing it every weekday uh but also you're gonna you're gonna continue on with the local news thing, but that's gonna be in a split off uh website, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm making a, another website for that. So there's gonna be a separate website for the local news thing, but you're gonna continue on with Wall Street Window. It's just gonna be uh, you know, your your weekly news thing as opposed to the the you know, every weekday and stuff like that. Plus you're still gonna publish articles, write your own, maybe publish a couple other people's as well, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Absolutely. So like I said, again, I highly recommend all those things. WallStreetWindow.com, the book, The War State, that red book you see in the uh, sidebar on my website with Ike on the front cover, giving his military industrial complex farewell speech. And, of course, Why the Vietnam War, uh, the first book in a series of three that Mike plans, and he's working on book number two right around now. And we're going to hear about it as it happens on the Ocelli Effect coming up in the future. WallStreetWindow.com Gold, silver, the stock market. WallStreetWindow.com Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. WallStreetWindow.com Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State understood these trends professionally for many years and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge 
WallStreetWindow.com. Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. Go ahead, caller. Hey, I'm interested in the truth about the JFA assassination. Right. Well, what do you want to know? Judy Baker's wild claim. Oswald girlfriend. He knew Ruby and Barry. Cancer weapons. Really? I imagine I could claim I have four wheels. It doesn't make me a wagon, but okay. Oswald was on the kill team and trying to prevent the murder of John Kennedy. Come on now. Has a real effort on the JFA assassination book into her claim? Go to Amazon.com. Enter Judith Baker in her own words. You'll get results for a digital copy of a book where Walt Brown utilizes her own words and the known evidence in the case to get at, well, <laughs> a different perspective, let's say. You can get Judith Barry Baker in her own words from the author himself, signed if you request it, by contacting Dr. Brown at K-I-A-S-J-F-K at AOL.com. It's a fun book and it actually dissects the many, many fantastic claims. Judith Barry Baker in her own words. Thank you for all the great information. So it's just me dropping in one more time to remind you that uh, through the end of January, you're going to have time to sign up at Ocelli.com. If you sign up at the uh, $10 level or higher on Patreon or Ocelli.com, you can get in on getting the first decade of the Ocelli Effect, and that's all the stuff that I produce through the website. That's all of the Ocelli Effect shows that have been preserved in my little personal archive, and you'll be able to get that in a monthly email if you're signed up and you're a member at Ocelli.com. Now, if you have a membership from before and you're at that $6.99 level, I will honor that, but you're going to have to send me a message to tell me you want to be included with the email list, and you're going to get a zip folder with the MP3s in it, uh, starting from the very, very first Ocelli Effect podcast and going on through all the shows I produced, uh, Aaron Franz's shows, Uncle the Podcast, the Jack Blood Show, um, Bob Wilson Show, you know, the Donald Jeffries Show, uh, geez, Chris Graves, uh, right? <laughs> That guy, too, right? All these different shows that I have produced, some of them for a short period of time, some of them for longer. Jeffrey Matt's show, uh, Porkins Policy Radio, which was produced on Ocelli.com for a while. The Sunday Sloper, which uh, might come back soon, uh, although it only had a few episodes last year as a test run. We'll also uh, include a couple of short attention span DJ theaters, even though we're not supposed to. In with the archive email. And all that bonus material, Hell and High Water, all that stuff will be involved in the first 10 years of the Ocelli Effect podcast archive. And if you're signed up at 10 bucks or more, okay, or you're one of those grandfathered members at $6.99 and you're signed up on the website, uh, again, you'll have to send me a message. Tell me you want to be included. For the decade of the Ocelli effect, which is going to go out in zip folders and it's going to take me the whole year to email it to you in 12 parts. Okay. It's a lot of material. It's something like 5,000 podcasts, uh, 5,000 audio files at least. So we'll send them out there and divide them up as best we can over the 12 month period. All right. So all that having been said, I want to thank Mike Swanson once again for appearing with us tonight. And tomorrow night, we should be back to live on the Friday night call-in show. I have the Pat Spear uh, interview to put out from uh, Tuesday. And Helen Highwater will be in the members section coming up. 
few other things are going out there. Hopefully you guys enjoyed T. Snyder. And if you checked out the video version, you got the puppy cam. So uh, there's that instead of staring at my stupid face during the discussion. If you looked at the video on Rumble or Rockfin, um, there's been some shorts. And who knows, there might even be a mild presence on YouTube once again in a sneaky sort of way for the Ocelli Effect. Because uh, I'm not allowed to have an Ocelli Effect channel on YouTube anymore. But... You know, there might be a way to get a few things up there. So we're doing that, and we're doing as much as we can at Ocelli.com. And if you support us, we'll support your right to get new and interesting entertainment information and education as best we can. Revelation through conversation, Ocelli.com. Ocelli.com Radio Network. Uncle, I'll bet you remember the time when Benjamin Fulford said that the Asian Secret Society was going to dispatch ninjas to take out the Illuminati to change the entire world for the better. That ain't never gonna happen. That it, never did. It never did, did it? Mm-mm. Yeah, because there's a lot of false promises. Fools! I can't say more. We better not say and be polite, but, but oh, there are no yeah. false promises at the Ocelli.com no, radio network. That's exactly it. Not. It's truth, the point, right to the point. And this is what I like. Straight to the point. Ocelli. Ocelli.com. Listen now. Listen now. Ocelli.com. Revelation through conversation. The views expressed by callers, co-hosts, or anyone else who happens to get on the air at Ocelli.com do not necessarily reflect the views of Ocelli.com or Chuck Ocelli, and we are not responsible for any stupidity which might ensue. Thank you.